This is Future You with Jeff Salingo and Michael Horn. Welcome to Future You. I'm Jeff Salingo along with my co-host Michael Horn. And we're here today at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the Salesforce.org Innovation Leadership Forum. With us today here, we have the president of Purdue University, Mitch Daniels. It's great to have you here with Thanks us today. Thanks for having me. So, Mitch, we normally ask our guests about how they got into higher education, but I think your pathway is pretty uh, well told so far. But when you left uh, the governor's office here in Indiana, you had the choice to do many different things, um, I'm assuming. Why did you pick academia, of all things, and especially a presidency? Well, in the end, I picked it, but it would be more accurate to say it picked me or mm-hmm. someone did. And I, it wasn't what I had in mind at all. I was trying very hard not to make any decision. As, the, as we entered that last year of my previous job, and uh, when people would inquire, I would usually say, you know, I don't know, but it'll be somewhere in the NDB zone, meaning none of your damn business. You know, <laughs> I, I was looking forward to return to private life. Uh, that didn't quite happen. Um, no, the, uh, the trustees had decided they wanted to make a change. They came around privately, um, and then they came around again and again, and I straight-armed them for a while, but I couldn't quite uh, say, cut it off completely. And in the end, I found myself saying yes, I think because um, I couldn't think of a job other than the one I was leaving, where if a person did something useful, it could make a bigger difference uh, to the state I care about, the state I wanted to live in. I was not interested and had uh, uh, inquiries from people who... um, might want me to move in one coast or another mm-hmm. somewhere else run a company or something and uh, so it was a looked like a useful job where I wanted to live among the people I am most comfortable with and I feel so fortunate that it came along so um in terms of impact you've had quite the uh, impact uh, since you've been here you froze tuition uh, for several years, you created these Purdue Polytechnic uh, schools, uh, Purdue Global, among other things, right? So you've you've really transformed Purdue, and now in a way that it's being talked about as one of the most innovative uh, universities in the, in the country. When you think about all that you've done since 2013, what do you think has been the most impactful up until now? But probably more important, when you talk about impact, what do you think is going to have the most impact? Mm-hmm. Um, probably long after you're out of this job. If you mean impact on our school, and I don't think in broader terms than that very mm-hmm. often. I, uh, I don't. It, we never. I tried very hard uh, not to uh, appear to be uh, evangelizing for anything we've done. We think these are decisions that are wise for our school. The investments we've made, uh, the emphases, some of the new things we've tried, we think fit our school. I, I mean lots of examples. We were nowhere in online education. I thought that we would not get there on our own, so we looked for a, a quicker route. Um, we have, uh, to me, an unacceptable scarcity of minority students in our, coming out of the public high schools of our state mm-hmm. who are uh, able to succeed at, our, at Purdue. So we started high schools to build our own pipeline. But these are things we crafted uh, with our own university in mind. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very bashful in people. I, I, I turned down a lot of invitations to go talk to somebody else's board or somebody else's regents or About things like that. how you do it, right? Yeah, okay. because I don't pretend to know what's right for other schools or other places. Um, now, 
if there if there is a, a thing or two that might be and that I might hope will be of broader scale, I would uh, pick out, for instance, our income share agreements, mm-hmm. um, which if they're going to be a, a, an important uh, a successful and useful phenomenon will have to grow to scale. Mm-hmm. Other things, if we, if nobody else chooses our route on tuition or something, that that's for them to decide. But uh, for ISAs to really fulfill the potential I think might be there, you really would want, and we're beginning to see, uh, a lot of other places uh, try to do something similar. So let's dig into that ISAs because you've certainly started a movement, it seems, mm-hmm. in accredited higher education. It was already starting to pop a little bit in the coding boot camp space mm-hmm. and so forth, but not so much traditional institutions. Where do you think this ISA movement is going to go next? You see some uh, movement at the federal government level right mm-hmm. now with consumer protection law being put in place. You've seen Jason Delisle, who's been on our podcast, talk about uh, the federal government actually putting dollars in and, and, and doing an ISA mm-hmm. program themselves. Where do you think it's going to go? Where should it go? I, I think it should, uh, if allowed to, and if properly uh, overseen, which is which is uh, will be would be positive. That is to say, certain guardrails, the same kind we've put around our own program. Yeah, you've you've put caps and so right forth to on make it. sure that there are that there are uh, full disclosures and protections and limits and so forth on what. Uh, gets paid, um, uh, then uh, I think it can be a very useful complement, not a, not a substitute, but a complement to the other forms of student financing that are out there. And so I hope that'll happen. Um, so we've encouraged and worked with uh, people in both parties. Um, by the way, when I f- first started, I-, I was aware of the idea, but when I first started talking about it, what really caught my attention was it was one of the few ideas out there in any public policy space where I was finding people from left and right ruminating about it. Yeah, and, you know, that, that was kind of appealing to me. But anyway, um, um, I think that if, there, it, if it is uh, um, uh, encouraged in that way uh, and safeguarded in, that, in reasonable ways, then uh, it has a real chance to grow. I'd be very uh, leery. I appreciate the enthusiasm that some in the uh, uh, executive branch have shown for direct involvement, but I just assume they'd s- be careful, steer clear. Uh, let's let's see what the market can do here if uh, if given a chance. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. And it, so, so, so fair to say that you think that the consumer protection bill, though going through, maybe mm-hmm. would would make a lot of sense because it puts in a lot of the safeguards yeah. you put into the program. Yeah, absolutely. Just just to reassure people. Yep. And and to clarify some of the ambiguity, there were some tax rules and things like that that people weren't sure how they'd apply. So that would all be very very helpful. Um, but uh, there is a um, there's I discovered when I first just spoke in public about this, uh, I was immediately uh, besieged by people. Uh, both the, there was interest from the press, great interest from the, the journalists, but. Um, also, from turned out there were a lot of people out there uh, waiting for somebody to make the first move. They saw the possibilities. They were prepared to set up uh, administration companies, funds to support students and all that, and didn't have anywhere to go. So um, uh, over the last, uh, what it is, three or four years, um, we've come to know that community, and it's uh, an impressive one. 
Uh, that's great. So the other piece that I, I'm surprised you didn't mention uh, as maybe a place that will have farther reaching impact is your decision to get into online education. You bought uh, the university from Kaplan, of course, mm-hmm. for a dollar famously with, mm-hmm. with some agreements down the road. How has that worked out so far? Can you update our listeners on, on where that is? Yeah, it's working pretty well. It's doing those things we hoped it would do. And a couple we hadn't even thought about, by the way. We hadn't thought about the, the, the fact that we could offer then free uh, college completion to uh, Purdue employees, our associates. We have several hundred of them now. I've had people in tears see me. They say, I never thought I'd get to finish my degree, let alone a Purdue degree. So that's an ancillary um, benefit that we uh, didn't foresee. Um, you know, how uh, important it'll be beyond our institution, I don't, I, once again, I don't, uh, I don't think anyone should uh, overrate or leap to conclusions. Um, we are outgrowing the market, but the market slowed down, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it only grew a couple percent last year. And, um, uh, but one thing that's uh, another of our hopes was that not only would we be able to serve what I think of as the third concentric circle for a land-grant university, uh, that is now uh, working adults, mm-hmm. um, but um, very much as a part of our thinking to... Uh, 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 improve our, um, I thought, very uh, weak grasp on the techniques, the best techniques for pedagogical and technological for online education, because there are offerings we can be using, uh, we can be uh, uh, providing to those who did go to college, mm-hmm. uh, continuing education of a different kind. So we have now a lot of new uh, certificate programs for people who want less than a master's degree as well as master's. Um, there's some real interesting things in uh, aviation, pharmacy technology, veterinary technology, where um, uh, we ha- we Purdue, not the old Kaplan. They didn't know anything about those subjects, but we do. Yep. But we didn't have the mechanism to reach uh, large numbers of people who might improve their lot in life. Um, Mitch, one, one last question, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, so a number of college presidencies are turning over. Um, many more colleges and universities are turning to, quote, unquote, non-traditional uh, uh, presidents. It seems like non-traditional is becoming now the traditional. What, what have you it's learned? It's like with students. What have you learned? I mean, you know, higher education tends to have a dim view among some in the public and in some in, in political circles mm-hmm. as well. What have you learned about... Uh, academia or higher education that maybe you didn't quite understand or appreciate, um, or uh, when you were uh, when you were governor. Yeah, well, we don't have time for all the things I didn't know. Yeah, that'd be a, several podcasts full of those. By, by the way, it's stunning. You talk about the turnover. It's amazing to me to contemplate that I am now past the median tenure of, a yeah, president, right. of all yep, yeah. presidents, and I think a public presidents yep. I'm even further yep. past it, you know, because I still feel like a rookie, and there's still things, so many things I'm learning and trying to learn. You know, I do believe that uh, it's really important that we move past this uh, sense of uh, skepticism is almost too mild a term for what some people have concluded about higher ed, a whole lot of issues around it, but you know, certainly cost and value right there near the top. And... Um, you know, we uh, in an interview like this a few years ago, I just off the top of the head, I, I, I uh, used the phrase higher education at the highest proven value. And I've never been able to uh, improve on that, trying to sum up what I hope we can do and I, what I hope more and more schools will do. That is to really work on value, the quality of the, of the education uh, product, 
at, at, the, at, at an affordable cost mm-hmm. and be willing to prove it. And that can take forms like being more accountable and uh, uh, putting you know some skin in the game, uh, me- trying to measure in ways that we haven't before whether how much students are learning and growing intellectually, things like that, and uh, we've got to recapture public confidence. And uh, you know uh, there are, there are good reasons. I regret to say that uh, the, that many in the public have have come to negative conclusions, and we can't just leave it there. That makes a lot of sense. We we appreciate you being on uh, Future You with us, and uh, we'll we'll be right back. This episode of Future You was made possible with support from the Academy for Innovative Higher Education Leadership. The Academy is a partnership between Arizona State University and Georgetown University and is the premier training ground for those who aspire to senior leadership positions in higher education and those who want to lead organizational change at colleges and universities in the future. This episode was also made possible with support from Entangled Solutions. If you want to shape the future of education, Entangled Solutions would like to hear from you. Entangled Solutions is hiring smart, mission-driven team members interested in helping world-class institutions solve their most vexing challenges in learning and education. Learn more at entangled.solutions. Welcome back to Future You, uh, off a great conversation with Mitch Daniels, president of uh, Purdue. And Jeff, uh, I, I took a lot from it, but we also got the benefit of hearing him speak at this conference, uh, the, the Salesforce conference uh, afterward. And, and it's interesting uh, how he, he, he said to us uh, that he originally, when he, when he took the post of, of the presidency, he sort of uh, said, well, the answer, of course, is going to become, you know, to become more selective as a university. And now he's totally flipped that on its head. Uh, as an observer of uh, politicians coming into presidencies, what was your take on that? Yeah, I mean, there were, there were two takes uh, uh, interesting. One is that he understood what he didn't know. Um, or assumed he knew some stuff and then and changed his mind. Uh, and one Itself, of the things, the way, impressive. which yeah. is impressive, right? So one of the things he said uh, in an interview that he did on stage at the Salesforce.org uh, forum is with Goldie Blumenstick of the Chronicle is that um, you know coming into the job he thought Purdue had to become more selective, um, and that was the way to increase student success. You know, just get better students. Right. And and one of the things he realized about four to- four months on the job and then brought the uh, board along for was that that was not the way to become uh, to improve student success. We could improve student success through other means, and that really the purpose of a land grant institution is to serve learners and to serve students, and and to do that they had to grow. Uh, and so he decided that um, uh, they wanted to grow. They didn't need to become more selective. And in essence, they not only grew, but improved all their metrics around uh, retention and, and graduation rates anyway. Uh, and so this, to me, is something that we've talked about before that really just frustrates me about the American higher education system is that we have all these needs uh, for uh, increased learning at all different stages of life, not just 18 to 22-year-olds. And, and the fact is that institutions, the wealthiest institutions in this country, um, the quote-unquote most successful institutions in this country, at least by the U.S. News and World Report rankings, um, refuse to grow, right? Mm -hmm. Even though they have more demand than ever before. And, um, and, and, you know, and I'm seeing this even in reporting the book, right? So even if we just take the 18 to 22-year-olds, right, these institutions, again, last year, had 9, 10, 12%, and I'm talking about these top institutions. Yeah, sure, top, sure. Select, right? Uh, Selective institutions, yeah. they had 9, 10, 12% uh, 
year-over-year growth in applications. Now, you could say, okay, maybe there's a portion of those students who are not quote-unquote qualified. Sure, and a portion of them that are duplicating. They're duplicating yeah, anyway, sure. but there are they can definitely take, you know, even at least just a small number, twice as many students, yeah. um, and not change their metrics at, at all. Uh, and I, I think Mitch said, you know, he said, that's what we're here for, right? We're, we're here to do that. And we're not only to do that in one way. You know, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, on our podcast here, uh, Purdue Global, their online sure. uh, a provider. So we're not just going to do face-to-face. We're going to do uh, online. We're going to do uh, hybrid. So there's a lot of ways to, to do that. But to me, it's, it's making this commitment like he did to say, we can be big and we can be high quality. Yeah, and I so it's interesting. I, I really liked his mental model that he said I, I sort of three rungs, if you will, in concentric circles, yep. with the third circle being uh, adult learners, uh, is what he said. It's a model that works well for me because that's how we often, when we're doing the Cliff Notes ver- version of disruptive innovation, that's how we do it as well, is that disruptive innovation is this force that decentralizes to serve these outer rungs of, of consumers. Uh, so I liked that mental model. And what I took from it is that he really wants to be a player that is serving all of Indiana's uh, learning needs, if you will, and thinking about them as a community resource for all learners, not just the ones at the top, if you will, the sele- and being the most selective institution or one of the most selective institutions uh, within Indiana, that, they, that he takes it seriously that he is a, uh, a, a steward of and a, and, and a citizen of, effectively, uh, this community, and, and he's got to figure out a way to serve all learners. The, the question I'm curious about and I think you'll have deeper perspective on this, is how does that impact or conflict with or, or intersect with community colleges and other parts of the system that were also designed for that sort of scale, if you will? How, how, how should we think about, you know, it, when a land-grant institution like Purdue that is effectively a flagship, uh, you know, decides to serve a broader swath of the community, which I agree with you, I think it's a wonderful thing, but it also does start to tread into ground that other institutions it, it, it does. have thought and, is there. And in many ways, uh, uh, Purdue did that with you know going online because when Mitch was governor, he invited uh, Western governors yeah, in, into, in, the state. Into, into the state, right, to to serve a market that his own institution now yeah. um, is is serving. Uh, you know, I I think there's enough students out there to um, at least for now and maybe that's the um, answer and maybe yeah. that's the answer right that, that that you know we're going after underserved populations and that there should be more than just one option uh, for them there's a low cost you know some of this is around cost there's a low cost option with the community colleges with the technical uh, institutes and with a you know a flagship uh, university uh, I also thought that w- what was interesting when we asked him about other public universities right why are they not cutting tuition or freezing tuition right why are they not going into high schools you know, there are all these things that he sees innovation in higher education as solving a problem, right? Not just innovation for innovation's sake. Yeah. But his question, his thing was, I have a problem to solve, and I'm going to solve it through this through this method. It may not work for every public institution or every institution out there. And so I thought it was interesting, Michael, that how he how he said because we kind of have this hero mentality around these yeah. presidents, and he's days. viewed as one, right? And now. he's viewed as one, but yeah. he basically told us that he turns down many invitations to, to speak and write about this, unlike some other presidents who do. do yeah, I was struck time. I was struck by two things by that. One, 
uh, we I literally had a question written down to say, do you think other universities will follow you in the tuition yeah, freeze? And then I scratched that one right away because, uh, you know, he, he basically said right there, that's not my decision. They are facing their own set of challenges, opportunities, context, and so forth. It's not my business to consult to them. The second thing I thought was a lot of times as a university president who is thought of as this hero and success, you can start to spend less time on campus and spend more time out in the world telling everyone else how great you are and looking for opportunities to serve students outside of your uh, domain and so forth. And uh, I was impressed, frankly. I was I was surprised. I hadn't known it, but I, I, I was impressed that he said, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm here in Indiana to serve Indiana and, and, and stay focused on that. I, I thought it was fascinating. And I thought it was interesting also that you know, and I'm sure we'll get notes and uh, uh, from listeners who work at Purdue or on Purdue. But it seems like as a politician who kind of came into the job, somewhat controversial, because as he even yeah. said, he appointed most of the uh, board that ended up picking him. Um, he seems to have learned a lot about higher ed. Um, he seems to be much more appreciated on that campus than at least when I think he first uh, uh, took that job. But he's also been there for a while now, too. He even mentioned how his tenure yeah. uh, is longer than most presidents and how he still has a lot to to learn. So I think that this initial pushback against kind of non-traditional candidates for to be president, I think he was willing to show that he was you know willing to learn and try try things out in a way that I think many other politician presidents, unfortunately, are not willing to do. Yeah, two thoughts. Uh, you, you know, David Gergen, um, one of my mentors, always says uh, the best leaders are learners. Uh, and, and I think you see that in, in, in Mitch. Uh, but the second thing is we, we didn't get a chance to dig into uh, the other side of the tuition freezes, which has been cost cutting. He's known uh, he's known as someone who loves to cut costs. He did it as governor of Indiana. Uh, he had that orientation as the uh, director at the OMB, although he didn't uh, uh, exactly, uh, uh, always get to carry it through yeah. uh, when, when he was there. But uh, and he certainly cut costs here, uh, which has impacted uh, pricing and so forth. Uh, and I, I suspect that faculty are not as enamored with that part of, of and probably of, not. And so we we recently co-authored a, a brief on on kind of alternative uh, pricing models. Uh, you know, thinking about college costs in a new way. Could you talk a little bit about uh, kind of some of the conclusions we came to there about these other pricing models? Yeah, I mean, I think what we're seeing right now is, is and, and, and you wrote this really eloquently I'll, uh, in transparency up front, is that sort of the current game of just discounting uh, prices is, is, coming is, to an is, end. is coming to an end. If it already has if, an if, end. Right, yeah. right. Uh, and, or if it's, le- or it's leading institutions off a cliff. Uh, and so what else can you do to reinvent yourself? And obviously, there's a whole cost equation side of this in business model. But we also said, well, okay, so what's, what are the new revenue models that might support these new cost models? And uh, we looked at everything from uh, income share agreements, which I was very interested to hear Mitch say, this is actually what I think the will be the impact. legacy yep. and an impact across the sector, less the other things, even online, for example. Uh, secondly, uh, you know, subscription models where you pay as you go, things like what we've seen out of Straighter Line, but also uh, we talked about Boise State uh, launching the, uh, a program like this. Uh, and then a third one, just to, just to pull it out, we had a few in there, uh, was, was the competency-based education movement has also introduced other pricing models. And we speculated, you know, it's interesting, competency-based education is a model that is not supposed to be bound in time. It's supposed to be you learn as you master material, or you move on as you master material. But the pricing models are still very bound in time. They're still bound in basically six-month increments. Uh, And we we asked the question, 
Uh, will we see it further innovation where it's more as you pay as you make learning progress? Haven't seen it yet in higher ed, seen a couple models like this in K-12, actually. Uh, will we continue to see evolution uh, in these spaces? No, it was great to have Mitch on. And as I said, we're at the uh, Indianapolis Speedway here. We didn't get to drive around the Speedway with him, unfortunately. Much, yeah. uh, the weather wasn't great uh, the day we were here, but uh, but it was great to have him on. And, uh, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of, of Future You. And we look forward to having you in, uh, on the next episode. Thank you. Hey folks, Michael Horn here. Hope you enjoyed the latest episode of Future You. And just a reminder to please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like the podcast, rate us so that others can find us and uh, find out about the good conversations that we're having here. As always, thanks so much for listening.